Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Mr. Chris Fedor. And, Chris, the last time we spoke, mm-hmm. we spoke at length about what we wanted to hear from Kobe Allman in his press conference. And today, uh, part of what we're going to do is we're going to break down that press conference and what Kobe said and what was surprising to us and what was kind of par for the course. So, uh, first of all, how are you doing? What's going on? Everything good in your life? I'm doing good. Everything yep. is good in my life. Uh, not a lot going on, man. Just uh, going to get out to the golf course for the first time tomorrow morning. I'm really excited about that. Going to play nice. with my buddy who's getting married this weekend. Um, So it's like the final golf getaway, I guess, between all us guys before uh, he gets married and maybe doesn't have as much time anymore in his life to go out with us. Uh, so that's exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, other than that, man, like not too much going on, just enjoying these NBA playoffs. It's been, I think, a lot of fun just seeing some of these new teams. And as much as it's always, I think, great for the league to have like the dominant team that everybody hates and everybody is chasing. Um, I think it's also pretty cool for the first time in a long time to have this field as wide open as it is like. I think you could name five, six, seven teams maybe that you could see winning an NBA championship this year. And I can't remember the last time we had that feeling. Do you think the Brooklyn Nets are kind of that team though? Maybe a little Uh, bit? I mean, to some degree, but it's, I think there are still questions about them, right? Where they're not like the clear cut favorite in the Eastern conference, the dominant team that everybody is trying to take down. Like there are questions about chemistry because they only played like eight regular season games together or something like that. They're big three. Um, And I think, and I think there's enough intrigue in the Eastern conference with Milwaukee loading up and Philly loading up that there's not as much of a separation Um, The way that there was with Miami's big three, for example, or even the dynastic Golden State Warriors. Right. I mean, it's I think they just have that kind of maybe they're not the, you know, that super team that everybody hates. But they do. They do have a little bit of that villainous factor. (laughs) They do have that factor because James Harden is, you know, he's very unlikable, especially given the way that he forced his way out of Houston. Uh, Kyrie is very polarizing. Everybody understands that. And KD is polarizing, too. 
So they have that factor attached to them. And if they win it this year and then they go into next year as the favorite and all of a sudden you start to see a path towards them getting two, three championships and running away from the rest of the teams in the Eastern Conference, then I absolutely think they could shift into that. I just think there are so many questions about them right now still that that there's not that same level of hate. That's just my view of it anyway. Right. That makes sense. I mean, certainly they're not like, you know, ingrained as one of the premier kind of hateable like you know they haven't won a championship yet so that kind of removes them from any conversation of being like a dynastic team or anything like that um but they kind of made quick work of the boston celtics boston celtics kind of shaking things up um the brooklyn nets um what did you think about the uh the brad stevens move yeah surprising just from the standpoint of anytime you talk about brad you think of him as a coach and how great of a coach he is and it's rare that you have guys like this who are still like in the middle of their prime as coaches and still have things to accomplish as a coach. Um, it's rare that those guys leave and, and take a new job when in some ways there's unfinished business, right? Right. Yeah, he's been to the playoffs seven times in eight years, which is incredible. He's been to the conference finals also. Uh, very admirable. I feel like he he gets the most out of the roster that he's given. Um, but but I figured this would this transition would eventually happen once he reached the top. You know what I mean? Like accomplish what you want to accomplish, everything that you want to accomplish as a head coach first, and then you make that transition. Then you make that move. Um, but obviously he was ready for this and Danny Ainge was ready for this. The other thing that's kind of strange to me is here's the thing. Hayden, I know Brad Stevens is a great coach. I've seen right. that. Right. And that's why he was brought to the NBA because of his coaching acumen. That's why Boston invested so much in him because of that aspect of it. There are a lot of unknowns when you talk about Brad Stevens, the executive, I don't doubt his basketball mind. He's a really smart guy. He's probably going to find a way to make it work. But this is a critical offseason for the Celtics. We've had so many conversations about how important this offseason is um, for a lot of teams, the Cavs included. Boston is near the top of that list. They got to figure out what they're going to do with Marcus Smart. They've got to figure out what they're going to do with Kemba Walker. Are they going to keep uh, the Jays together? Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. What's the next step for the Celtics? You would think going into this kind of offseason, it would make more sense for a team like that, that that has playoff aspirations, that's further along to say, hey, you know, Danny was great. He was a great executive for us. Maybe even though we believe in Brad, even though we believe in his basketball mind, it may make more sense for us to at least look around the landscape of the NBA and see if there's somebody else with more experience that we could bring in um, to run this thing moving forward. That's the thing that surprised me, that they didn't even look or it didn't appear like they looked around the NBA um, to see if there was somebody out there that would be better in this role, that they know would be better in this role because of their experience than Brad Stevens, who has never done this before. I have a feeling that Brad Stevens is obviously going to have a lot of influence on, on you know, whoever the head coach is. Um, 
and the yeah. kind of general basketball philosophy. I mean, I don't think he's going to be uninvolved. I think he'll be very much involved, um, just given his, like you said, given his background as a coach. But it's to be, I'm with you. I mean, they're, they they have a critical offseason too, and obviously we've talked a lot about the Cavaliers and, and how critical an offseason this is for them. They have a little bit of a different situation in Boston where – um, you know, they're going to have to decide what they're going to do with some of the guys that they've say, they've paid money to, some of the yeah. guys they've stuck with. Um, it's a little bit of a different situation. I mean, you've, you have talked about, though, you have talked about teams that might be willing to switch things up. I mean, could Cleveland yeah. kind of look look in that direction and say, hmm, you know, what about one of these guys? Yeah, for sure. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Marcus Smart, there's a huge decision coming on Marcus Smart. Um, how much do you think he would help the Cavs? Um, defensively, obviously, that would yeah. be a huge upgrade on Colin Sexton, Darius Garland, you know, him and Isaac Okoro together in certain lineups. Uh, that's big time. And Marcus Smart has gotten better as an offensive player, too. Um, so given his contract situation um, and given what the Celtics, what it appears they want to build around Jalen and Jason, I absolutely think that Marcus Smart could be had um, for a relatively I don't want to say cheap cost, but a fair cost. Um, somebody like that, a winner with those kinds of intangibles that's going to bring some toughness, some attitude. Sure. I think the Cavs could get involved in that. I think they're positioned at least to get involved in, in something like that. Um, I don't know what Boston's going to do with Kemba. They're probably going to have to attach a, a pick or two to his contract just to move on from him. Um, I don't think the Cavs are in position to take on that kind of salary at this point in time, um, given what they're going to have to commit to Jared Allen, given that they may have to give a contract extension to Colin Sexton this offseason. So I don't know that that really matters to them much. Uh, I think Marcus Smart is the one that stands out if if the Cavs want to go that direction. That's going to be an interesting situation to watch for sure, for sure. But the but the situation we're trying to watch, and we are, you know, you're paid more than I am to watch. Oh, well, you're paid to watch them more than <laughs> I am. Paid. I don't know. I'm not going to get into salaries here. I'm saying, you. I have a little bit focused on other teams as well. You are you are solely focused on the Cleveland yeah. Cavaliers and uh, and what they do this offseason. So I want to get into this Kobe Altman press conference because. He did. I think he did a great job of of addressing a lot of things. Um, he was he was asked questions for about an hour and spoke for about an hour. And, you know, I think that that definitely showed me that, OK, he wasn't evading anything. He just really wanted to take his mind off things after the season for a little bit and regroup and recalibrate. And uh, I don't think there was any ever, ever any point for me at, at any time that I thought, oh, well, Kobe is evading anything. I don't think that I never thought that. But like, I think it just pointed out to even further to those of the, to those who might have thought that. That he was willing to talk, and he talked. Mm. He addressed everything. He addressed a lot of different things. He addressed the season as a whole. He addressed his own job. He addressed Kevin Love. He addressed Kevin Porter Jr. I mean, you know, certain things as we mentioned, he didn't go super deep into. Right. But what did you take away most from uh, from Kobe's press conference uh, to end the season? A lot of people are going to latch onto the Kevin Love thing. I wrote yeah. about that. A lot of people wrote about that. I don't know what else he could have said in that kind of situation. He wasn't going to go blast Kevin Love. Um, I think there's a reality attached to the Kevin Love situation that everybody inside the organization is cognizant of. And it's, you know, try, if you can, <laughs> to protect his value at all costs. Right. Um, 
because whatever direction they want to go in there, we've talked about this, there's no easy answer, right? So it doesn't do anything to go down that road willingly when it comes to Kevin and what they're going to do. So I think Kobe said what he had to say about Kevin. He's a veteran. We don't have enough of those guys. We've seen his value on the court when he's engaged, when he's healthy, things along those lines. So I don't think I had a huge takeaway from that. The one thing that stood out to me, Hayden, was um, when he was asked about supplementing this group with veterans. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe I'm reading too much into terminology here. Yeah. But supplementing to me means that Kobe believes that what is here already, Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, Isaac Okoro, uh, Jared Allen, that core four is right, that they got that right. Yeah. And now they have to get the other components right around those guys. And that also tells me that those core four are worth investing in where you supplement the talent around them. That to me was was interesting. Now, I expected him to say that, right, in, in some ways, because that's pointing to success of the season, and those are guys that they drafted. But the term supplement that talent, to me, makes it seem like this group doesn't feel like a massive uh, push-the-go-button move is necessary. Yeah, I mean, that that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, I think, again, the, the, what we've talked about as well is that I think the push-the-go-button move is more so, you know, getting a really, 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 really good draft pick um, you know, maybe top one or two and then going from there. I think that's their go move. But I, I agree with you that, yeah, I think I don't think I mean, you know, I, well, any GM would want to think that, OK, if something comes along, we got to pounce on it like the Jared Allen sure. thing. Perfect example. Right. But but like, I don't think yeah, I think you're right. I don't think Kobe's planning on any big moves. I don't think that's like. I think he's really excited about this, you know, core core four, as you mentioned, and, you know, they're going to supplement that with another draft pick. And then from there, you're right. I think it's just about finding the right veterans to kind of fit in with those guys, to help push those guys, to help make those guys better. And um, and I think that, you know, that's exactly why he said what he said about Kevin. Uh, that's exactly why they're going to go. I think, again, they're going to go out and probably, if not, you know, they're going to they're make some moves to get some vet guys in there to help them. I mean, they have to. So, I'm with you 100% on that. I mean, I don't I don't know what else he would have said. I agree. I mean, I don't think, again, the guy that drafted all these guys is going to want to shift course anytime soon. You know what I'm saying? Right. And I get that. But if you think about it, you know, Phoenix got to a point in year five of Devin Booker where they were like, you know what? It's not good enough. What we have here is not good enough. We have drafted high. Uh, we have put young guys around Devin. But that's not enough for us. We need to go out and we need to make a big time move. And they did. And they got Chris Paul. And that has gotten them to this point where they've got a 3-2 series lead against the Los Angeles Lakers. All I'm saying is, like, I didn't get to the point in listening to Kobe where I had a feeling, reading between the lines, that that move feels like a necessity to him. Right. Or Dan Gilbert. Right. Right. Now, again, things could change. Yeah. Um, an opportunity could present itself, right? The Clippers could get bounced out of the playoffs here by Dallas. The Clippers all of a sudden make Paul George available in a trade, and a team like the Cavs explores that. 
right? Or the Toronto Raptors say, uh, we've reached our apex with this core group. We're going to make Pascal Siakam available in a trade. Um, if those kinds of opportunities come up, sure. I absolutely think that the Cavs would try and get themselves involved in that. And I think they have a compelling enough young players that would entice those teams. Maybe they wouldn't win those um, bidding wars for any of those kinds of guys. But but I think they're positioned to make that kind of move if they want to go that direction. Um, so things could change and those opportunities could present themselves. But even reading between the lines, like I got a feeling that this core four is going to be back. I would totally agree with that. I would totally agree with that. I, I don't think there's any chance. I mean, I think. Of course, there's a chance. Don't say there. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a very minimal chance that those guys are not. I mean, like maybe like less than 5% chance. I mean, it just seems like you're right. Kobe's kind of invested in these guys and he wants to see them kind of work it out. And I think the one thing that, that was the takeaway for me, Chris, was kind of like. It sounds like an excuse, but it's not. I mean, it's just it, it is and it's not. It's like. They Kobe just kind of felt like they really just got battered by injuries. And if it wasn't for the injuries, they would have been a much better team. And like, yeah. I get that. But like, there's also it's it's a hard thing to for to like to. It's a hard thing to not use it as, as an excuse because it it's reality. But at the same time, nobody wants to hear excuses about injuries because they happen to every team. So it's like I get where Kobe's coming from for sure. Like, um, you know, uh, they would have been a better team. They would have maybe won 28 games, maybe even 30 games if they weren't, you know, if they were pretty healthy all year. But that wasn't the case. And, like, I felt like Kobe really just kind of lamented that and was like, I understand we need to win. But, like, I felt that there was a lot of good things that happened this year and injuries kind of hurt us really, really badly. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair, though, right? Um, right. I don't think you can tell the story of this past season with the Cleveland Cavaliers without starting with that. Yeah. Because it's not, and we've talked about this before, like, yes, other teams have had big-time injuries. Um, but there are a couple of layers to this. One, the Cavs aren't as equipped as some of these other teams uh, to right. deal with those injuries. Right. That's because true. they're just not far along in this rebuild and because they have an incomplete roster to begin with. Yep. This is still a work in progress. So teams that that are a work in progress, they're going to have a harder time when they're calling on guy nine and ten to replace guy one and two. Yeah. So the other layer to this, Hayden, is. The guys that they lost were some of the most important players oh, for sure. on the roster. I mean, I think you wrote, yeah, I mean, you obviously it's it's fact, it's fact but you wrote it. I mean, Larry Nance Jr. has missed most or missed the most games of his career. Like Kevin Love was out for most of the year. Matthew Delabadova wasn't the backup point guard for a large majority of the year. Uh, you had Darius Garland injuries. You had um, Colin. Colin. You had every pretty much everyone. Jared Allen. Yeah, you had pretty much everyone. And, it's, and they it's, were for long stretches too. Right, right. So at some point you're going to have to, I mean, that's a, that's a tough thing though. It's like, you know, is it, is this is going to be a thing where it's just a, a fluke year or is this something with the training staff or is this something with, uh, you know, some of these guys just being a little more injury prone? I mean, do you, do you feel like this was more of a fluke in terms of injuries in terms of all the injuries they had this year? Or do you think that this is something that they kind of have to look at and address and kind of, you know, see what's happening? I guess we'll figure it out. Um, 
it seems like this was widespread across the NBA. I think a lot of people expected this coming into this strange year with a compressed schedule, with a shortened offseason. There was an expectation that that was going to rise. Uh, There are a lot of people around the NBA, executives around the NBA, that are pissed at the league um, for the schedule that they implemented this year, Um, for all of the things that they had to navigate throughout a pandemic uh, to get through this season um, on the timeline that the league wanted. Um, But to, like, further to this point, like, you talked about Nance, you talked about Love, you talked about Delhi. Like, sure. think about the role that those guys were supposed to play and and how important that was to the Cavs being successful from a win-loss standpoint. For sure. Kevin Love and Larry Nance Jr. and Matthew Dellavedova were supposed to be the stabilizing veterans there to support the young players so not everything fell on the young players. Right. To lose two of those guys, three of those guys, for around 40 games each like come on man <laughs> yeah no it's fact i, I you I, played I, half the season without a backup point guard think I about that. that i hear you i do i do it was tough it was you absolutely tough. more than half the season without the guy who's supposed to be your best most important player right it's just it was really really hard from that standpoint you know, if they would have lost, let's say, Jetty Osman for 40 games or something like that, you wouldn't have felt that as much. Right. Um, if you would have lost, like, Dean Wade for half the season, <laughs> right. right? you wouldn't have felt that as much. No. But the guys that the Cavs lost in some cases were, like, one, two in the hierarchy of importance— if you want to split hairs between Nance's importance and Colin Sexton's and Darius Garland's, you can probably do that, sure. But I mean, like coming into the year, we talked about the important role that Kevin Love was going to play. And yes, we talked did. about the important role that Larry Nance Jr. was going to play. So to lose both of those guys, and sometimes at the same time where it overlapped, it's like, at some point you have to ask yourself, what are you supposed to do? Like, how do you navigate that? And sometimes there just aren't answers this early on into a rebuild. Well, that's the thing. There just there weren't a lot of answers for all a lot of things during this rebuild. But I know that you have answers to questions, and we're going to get to you. Do you have answers to questions that are going to happen that are coming? So before we get into that, yeah, there was one more thing that stood out. I was gonna I was gonna ask you about that. I was going to give you one more. I was going to give you one more opportunity to talk about the Kobe Altman press conference before he moved on. But go ahead. Yes. Um, Kobe essentially came out and said, we are going to use the mid-level exception this year. Yes. Okay. Without specifically saying that, he came out and said that. And I think that's important here because um, the Cavs pathway to significant improvement beyond winning the lottery and making one of those blockbuster trades for somebody like Siakam, Paul George, Marcus Smart, Bradley Beal. It's moves around the margins. And 
one of their avenues for that, Hayden, because they don't have a lot of guys with a ton of trade value unless you start to like package them all together in one big deal. Right. Um, like independently, Nance has trade value, but the Cavs have to be really careful about what they get back in a trade for him if they want to go that direction. Independently, we've talked Tor- about that a lot, haven't we? <laughs> right, right. Independently, Torian Prince has trade value because he's an expiring contract, but you would probably have to attach future second round picks with him in order to get somebody that's going to crack your rotation and be better than Torian. You know what I mean? So, like, when you start breaking it down like that, there isn't a ton of individual value. But if you start piecing it together in one big package, Okay, then you start to feel like there is something. One of the young players that you have, plus Nance, plus Prince. All right, now you're in the ballpark, or you have a starting point for one of those all-in type trades. Um, Beyond that, their way to quick improvement or quick help is the mid-level exception in free agency. Yep. They cannot get that wrong, okay? (laughs) Because it's the one path, really, to the quickest route beyond what we've already talked about. It's like the thing that's in their control most, so they can't get that wrong. Whoever it is they sign with the mid-level, that guy has to crack the rotation, have a big role on this team, and contribute to winning if they're going to take the steps forward that they want to take. And I don't think they want to take 10 steps forward or anything along those lines, but I do think they want to take a step forward or a couple steps forward and at least be in the conversation for playoffs. Is there anyone on the top of your mind? that you Yes. Think? Yes. TJ McConnell. Okay. Yeah. That's what, what, what is specifically? Look, they need a backup point guard who's reliable. They need a feisty defender at one of the guard spots. And he's somebody who can get other guys involved and he's got playoff experience. Um, So he brings you the kind of toughness, intensity, competitiveness on the defensive end of the floor that you need. He's a guy who will understand his role as a backup point guard behind Darius Garland, I believe. Um, And even though he doesn't really have the size necessarily that you may want, Like, he plays bigger than that because he's feisty and he's scrappy. He's one of the league leaders in steals. He's got a relationship with a couple of players on this roster already, one of them being Larry Nance Jr. I know J.B. Bickerstaff is a fan of him as well. I just think he fits that need for a secondary ball handler who can give you much more than Matthew Delvadova did this past year. Right, Matthew Delvadova. A little bit. I mean, he can definitely run an offense. We, we've we've definitely um, discussed that. But it's just the offensive, uh, the offensive, just his ability to score is just not there. Yeah, um, and he's not the defender that he used to be either. Right. So this offseason, uh, T.J. McConnell will be a free agent. His last contract he signed was two years, seven million. Right. I'm assuming that that will be that will go up quite significantly. Yeah, uh, but I still think he's going to be in the mid level range. I still think he will. All right. So he stands out to me. Um, Another guy that stands out to me is Alex Caruso. Ah. He's younger. He's got more size than TJ McConnell. 
Um, probably not as much of a veteran as maybe what the Cavs are looking for right. based on playing experience, but he's getting a lot of experience playing next to LeBron. He's getting a lot of uh, playoff experience guarding, you know, a guy like Chris Paul, a guy like Devin Booker. So the skills that he brings to the table, I think, are really, really intriguing. Um, I mean, he's, he's, he's not – I mean, he's 27. I mean, yeah. he's played in the league four years now. I mean, it's not – that's yeah. not – I mean, especially as a – and he's a world champion, you know. that yeah. That's something to consider. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but he didn't have, like, a huge role as a world champion. All right, that's fair. Well, he would certainly have a big role in Cleveland, that's for sure. Sure, yeah, there's no doubt about that. All right, before we get into the the special um, section we're going to do today, or the special segment, I should say, we're going to do today, I want to remind everybody to go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. At the top of the page, you're going to see a blue banner that says you can sign up for Chris Fedor's subtext. Again, $3.99 a month. 14-day 14 14-day 14 free trial. You can get all kinds of news, analysis, updates, insights before they go to Twitter, before they go anywhere else. They're going right to your phone. Again, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial when you sign up. All you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, and you will see the uh, banner at the top of the page. It says, get daily Cavs text from Chris Feeder with breaking news and analysis, only $3.99 a month. So go do it. Go do it, especially because this is going to be a huge offseason for the Cavaliers. You're going to want to know everything that's going on uh, with this team. So, like I said, Cleveland.com slash Cavs, blue banner at the top of the page. Check it out. Okay, so when you go to Cleveland.com slash Cavs, most of the time you'll see a post from Chris that says, that has a question of some kind and says, hey, Chris. Well, today what we're going to do is we are going to make that into an audible uh, Hmm. piece, something you can hear. You can hear the hey, Chris's. So Chris sent me some questions that he got from uh, from you guys out there, from the subtext subscribers, from um, that he's that he was you know planning to do for the Hey Chris. But we're going to make it an audible version that you can hear Chris talk about instead of just write about. So without further ado, Chris, are you ready to get into the Hey Chris's? Yeah, man, let's do it. All right. Um, the only thing that I don't have are the names of the people who send it in. Yeah, not everybody puts their names. I get it. Okay. So I just didn't want to leave anybody out. I know. I understand. <laughs> I, I get it. All right. Um, we might as well go through all of them. We can go through all six of them. Okay. Okay. Number one, how big of a year two leap do you think Isaac Okoro will have? Yeah, I think a big one. This is a big off season for him. He's a worker, tireless worker. They already outlined the plan of the things that they wanted to work on with him. Um, he started to get more experience down the stretch in terms of running some de facto point guard, being more of a distributor playmaker, shifting over to the two as opposed to the three. So I think he's going to be able to build on those kinds of things at the end of the season. He started to go through the league um, more, gain more experience towards the end of the season. So I think he's going to be able to build on that. And by playing as much as he did, Hayden, succeeding and failing, depending on how you want to look at it, depending on um, which portion of the season you're looking at, He learned what worked for him and what didn't work for him. So I think he has an understanding of the things that he wants to work on. So um, I expect a big leap from him, especially on the offensive end of the floor, because I think he's capable of that. I think it's in there. I think it just needs to be pulled out of him. And I think the thing holding him back the most is experience and time. And he's going to have that in a way that he didn't last offseason. 
certainly did not have that last season. I mean, the quickest turnaround probably ever. Yes. In the NBA. So yeah. definitely there, there's uh, maybe not extremely high expectations for Isaac Coro, but certainly expectations that he'll, you know, now with more time and more, you know, experience, he'll be able to make a huge leap in year two. So I kind of agree with you on that one. All right. Number two, with Jared Allen on the roster, and we've discussed this a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Jared Allen on the roster. Any chance the Cavs select Mobley if they get the second or third pick and he's available? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We um, discussed the Twin Towers. Yeah, the Twin Towers make sense. Like, if they feel like he can start to build an offensive package that extends out to the perimeter, that's something that would be very, very intriguing. Even if not, I just think the talent and him looking like a future unicorn is something that would be hard for the Cavs to pass up at this point in time. I don't want to say that they've put team building and fit to the side. I just still don't think, Hayden, they're in position to allow team building and fit to drive this choice. If they feel, this is an if, not everybody feels this way, but if they feel there's a gap between Mobley and Jalen Green. Or Mobley and Jalen Suggs, for that matter. Right. Yeah, we talked about the Twin Towers and how they could definitely benefit, you know, Colin and and Darius, and and I think that would work. I, I really do. And of course, if he, I mean, he there certainly is a unicorn. That's that's the right word. So, shoot, I, man, I, like if 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 he was the the right guy to play the four, and you start projecting it forward, okay, now you don't have to rely as much on somebody like Kevin Love. Right now, you open the possibility of being more open to a Larry Nance Jr. trade. Again, that's a little bit further down the road, and that's all about projecting Mobley as a four. There are people that feel like his best position is five, and it's always going to be a five. But if you start to believe that that skill set is somewhere in there and you can get away with playing him at the four for like 18 to 22 minutes or something along those lines, I just think it creates more opportunities. It makes sense. It makes sense. All right, this is a different question. I kind of like this question. We haven't, you know, we're All right. this, I mean, next year is going to be, I mean, fun because of this, but we really haven't discussed it. This is actually something that we haven't discussed. We've discussed oh. a lot of things. This is something we really haven't discussed. All right. Um, does the all-star game and league being in town add any extra pressure to make a leap or influence the team in any way? I know my season tickets group is excited, so just curious how the team views it. I don't think so. Obviously, that's there. And I think the Cavs would love if they had some kind of representative for the All-Star game. I think they'd love if they weren't a disaster midway through the season (laughs) when the best of the best come to the NBA and and NBA executives gather around for the annual get-together. But I don't think that that is going to force the Cavs into a short-sided deal. Like, I don't think they're going to make a short-sided deal just to make a short-sided deal. Right. That makes sense. But also, I think that, like, I think that mo- the players certainly are, would be motivated. I mean, I think Colin Sexton's going to be super motivated to make the All-Star game because he got oh, snubbed. Yeah. Because Cleveland is, you know, it's in Cleveland. And, um, I, I mean, I don't think it'll affect the team, but I think on an individual level, it's there's definitely going to be thoughts about it, 100%. Colin's already come out and said it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Around around the time that he felt like he was snubbed, 
Right. He already said, hey, All-Stars in Cleveland next year, as much as I would love to be there in Atlanta, my hometown, where I watched games growing up as a kid, it's in Cleveland next year, so I've got something to shoot for. Yeah. That was I like that question a lot. Thanks to whoever uh, sent you that question. Okay, the next one. Uh, hey, Chris, if the Cavs are not lucky in the draft lottery and end up in the sixth or seventh spot, do you think the Cavs will try to move up into the top four, and what would be the probable cost? Plus, if they pick at six or seven, how do you rank the following wings with size who could be there, oh. like Jalen Johnson, Scotty Barnes, and Franz Wagner? Thanks. Andy. So Andy sent that one. We at least have a name. All right. Anderson Varys now sent that in. Wow. That's pretty cool. <laughs> well, Andy, it was great to watch you play the final minutes of your career in Cleveland. That's right. That, that That's was right. nice. Um, Still waiting on the next contract. Yeah. You'll, you'll be waiting for a while. <laughs> I do think they would consider the possibility of trying to move up. Sure. They always have those kinds of conversations. They had those conversations in 2019 trying to move up for R.J. Barrett. They had those conversations in 2018 trying to move up for Luka. So the Cavs, um, given that they have a bunch of extra second-round picks into the future, um, I do think that they would explore that possibility. If there's somebody that they feel like has separated themselves from the rest of the group, um, obviously there are tiers within tiers. A lot of people talk about it's a five player draft, it's Cade Cunningham, and however you want to order these guys, it's Cade Cunningham, Suggs, Mobley, Green, Kaminga. But within those five, Hayden, there are obviously tiers. There's a tier right. one, a tier two, maybe a tier three, however the team wants to look at it. So if there's somebody still remaining from tier one, when whoever has the fourth pick is, is, is on the clock, then sure. I think the Cavs could try and move up and, and see if they could do something with that. Um, if they can't pull it off, man, I don't know. Scotty Barnes is intriguing because of his defensive upside and he often draws comparisons to Draymond Green because of his intangibles, his versatility, his defensive intelligence, and the questions that he comes with on the offensive end. So it's like, given the fact that you have Isaac Okoro, who has not developed offensively, um, and then maybe Larry Nance Jr., who is not the same offensive threat as somebody like Kevin Love, and then Jared Allen, who you know still has room to go to become an offensive weapon, is that too many quote-unquote offensive liabilities when you're talking about throwing in somebody like Scotty Barnes? Yeah. I think that's a fair question. I think it's a legitimate question. Do you have enough shooting around that kind of team? The answer right now is no. So that makes me hesitate a little bit on him. Jalen Johnson has so much potential, but everybody knows what happened at Duke stylistically he's more of a selfish type player I don't know that he's somebody who's going to make you that much better like from a talent standpoint he's probably the most naturally gifted of those guys but does he make you better moving forward um, does he have that kind of game where it makes him a difficult stylistic fit uh, there's just not a, a guy that stands out in that group, honestly, to me. Moses Moody is intriguing because he can shoot the, the crap out of it. Um, 
maybe he can give you a little bit more size in the backcourt at six foot six, two oh five. But there's really not that guy that stands out to me. They <laughs> this is like the no duck comment of the day, Hayden, but they need a top five pick so bad in this class. Yep. Yep. Yes, they do. Absolutely. 100% they do. We've talked about that ad nauseum, how much they need top five pick. So let's not even think about the sixth or seventh pick. <laughs> not even think about it. I don't even want it to enter your brain, Andy. I don't want it to enter your brain. No sixth or seventh pick. Can't have it. Okay. Next question. Who is easier to send to the bench in the event that the Cavs find an upgrade at the three, Sexton or Okoro? Defensive metrics would say it should be Sexton. Oh, here we go. We're so sending, that's a question and a statement. Sending Colin to the bench again. I'm going to say yeah. what I said last Wine and Gold Talk podcast. For me to agree with moving Colin Sexton to the bench, somebody is going to have to take that job from him. Right. There's nobody on this roster right now that deserves to start at that spot over Colin Sexton. I would completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. There's an argument that he's their best player. Right. Some may say Darius Garland, and I get it because of the style that he plays with, um, because of his ability to get everybody else involved. Uh, it's easier to project the way that he plays, I think. Because he's so pick and roll heavy and he's got the the shooting range and the silky smooth outside shot. And it's just a prettier game than Colin. So some may say that Darius is their best player. Some in the front office would say that Darius is their best player. Some in the locker room would say that Darius is their best player. Um, others would say it's Colin. So I'll have to see who that player is that you want to put in the starting lineup instead of Colin and then make the decision based on that. But right, right now there's nobody that would, that would make me move him to the bench. I'm sorry. All right. Okay. I love this last question too. It kind of, it kind of goes in, in with that one. It's a perfect way to end this podcast. Perfect way. Cause this right. is something we've talked about so much and, and it's just, it's something you're not really going to be able to answer, but it's funny. Okay. Why won't the quote unquote fans embrace Colin? On the surface, he kind of embodies the spirit of Cleveland. He's a hard worker, relatively humble, has a huge chip on his shoulder. It makes no sense. This question could also be phrased as, why do Cavs fans suck so much? Jim, <laughs> I love that. That's the perfect way to end this podcast. This question could also be phrased as, why do Cavs fans suck so much? Signed, Jim from Pittsburgh. Do you have a theory on this? Um, I, I do. I do. Okay, good. Go. My theory is that Cavs fans, Cavs fans are spoiled with a capital S. Interesting. They had LeBron. And again, and, and here's the, okay, here, I'm going to go from the very beginning on this, right? Uh -huh. So the Cavaliers are the youngest of the three major sports, team, sports teams in Cleveland, right? So the Cavaliers are the newest of the three. They don't have the they, – they have a history. They have a storied history. They have a great history. But their history is, like, more modern per se. Like, I – like, myself, I didn't know a ton about the Cavaliers, and given I was, what, nine years old. But I didn't know a ton about the Cavaliers until LeBron James was drafted by the Cavaliers. So a lot of young fans 
grabbed onto the Cavaliers when LeBron came. And since LeBron came, it's been pretty much either LeBron is is has carried the team, or they had Kyrie Irving, who was a uh, who was another young star. Yes, they had said, other. Said yep. They had other picks like Tristan Thompson, Deion Waiters, who were like who were not even their first pick. They had Andrew Wiggins, they had Anthony Bennett. Like they had so many top three, four, either one, two, three, four picks that they just are so used to having that star to, that they built around. And now Colin is not really that. He was the eighth. Pick. I mean, you know, Darius Garland is is not not a, not a you know transcendent guy either but a top five i mean they just don't have that we talked about this ad nauseum they don't have that guy and i think the young Cavs fans especially the ones who have been known to have lebron james for the last what 11 of the last 21 years i mean it just it makes or excuse me 11 of the last 18 years excuse me 18 years so mm-hmm. um I think that's why Cavs fans are not as like bought in on Colin because they're just so used to having a star and, and Colin scores a lot of points. He does a lot of good things in the basketball court, but like, I think unequivocally we can sit here and say that Colin Sexton is not the star for the Cleveland Cavaliers. He's a great player. He's a really, really good kid, but I don't think he's like the, the face, the guy to build around. And I think that's why Cavs fans are frustrated. I think that's all goes back to being spoiled and being lucky. The Cavs have been lucky in the lottery. I mean, they've been really lucky. If it wasn't for Andrew Wiggins, they wouldn't have gotten Kevin Love. If it wasn't for, you know, the number one pick, they wouldn't have Kyrie Irving. They would have Tristan Thompson. I mean, these are legitimately lucky, like, things because, again, it's the ping pong balls. It's the ping pong balls. So, I I mean, that's my theory of it. Now, if you have another theory, go ahead. But that's just my specific theory. Oh, yeah. I have a few theories on this. Okay. I think they're all valid, to be honest with you. Okay. I think this is a complex thing where there isn't one right answer. Right. In fact, I think it's a big soup with a bunch of different reasons. Sure. And they all add together. Um, that And that's true, too. It's, it could be a lot of things. You're right. You're right. right. Absolutely right. I think, I think part of it is what he represents. And these things are out of his control, Hayden. But what I mean by that is he was the crown jewel of the Kyrie Irving trade. And there are some people that are still not over the Kyrie trade. There are some people that feel like the Cavs didn't have to trade Kyrie. There are some people that feel like the Cavs should have just called his bluff, gone into the season, and in the final year of LeBron, not given up an opportunity Um, or a better opportunity to chase a championship. On top of that, Colin also represents the Brooklyn pick that the Cavs would not trade away in the final year of LeBron for more help now guys to make one final push to get eliminated in the NBA finals by the Golden State Warriors. Because like that was going to be the end result regardless. Golden State was winning that championship regardless. Yet, there were some people that felt like the Cavs had an opportunity. Right. That Golden State was vulnerable. And there were people that wanted the Cavs to, quote-unquote, go for it. And use the, quote-unquote, Brooklyn pick, which turned into Colin Sexton, to go out and get DeAndre Jordan or somebody along those lines. Right. Which would have been foolish and stupid. And they wouldn't be in as good of a place right now with this rebuild had they done that. So that's part of it. 
I think the other part of it is, um, and again, this has nothing to do with Colin. The Brooklyn pick was supposed to be Luca. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. right. The Brooklyn that's... pick was supposed to be top five E. That's true. It was not top five E. It turned yeah. out to be number eight. So right. I think there are people angry about that. Again, outside of Colin's control. I think the Cavs are angry about that. Of course. <laughs> of course. There are people inside that organization that They're still, still angry. They still curse Spencer Dinwiddie every time I bring up Dinwiddie's name. There's another part of this, too. The first few months of Colin Sexton were bad. Yep. There were unnamed teammates talking bad about him, questioning his playing time, saying that he didn't understand the game, he didn't know how to play, he wasn't a true point guard, yada, yada, yada. I wrote about it, Joe Varden from The Athletic wrote about it. That was probably like the first big thing in terms of a story about Colin Sexton, and it was a negative one. Yeah. And I think people grabbed onto that early. And when you grab onto something like that early, Hayden, it's like very, it. very difficult for that perception to change. Right. Because you still always go back to it. Well, his teammates don't like him. Well, he's not a true point guard. Well, he doesn't know how to play the right way. You know what I mean? Like all those different things. So because of that early on in his career, those early on struggles that some of the veterans were having a hard time dealing with, and we're very open about um, anonymously. I think it's been hard for Colin to shake that. I think that's all very fair. I think that's all very fair. And it's I think it's a combination of what I said. I think it's a combination of what you said. I think it's like everything. I think everybody has like a different, if you're not, you know, if you don't enjoy watching or if you're not sold on Colin or whatever the case is, I think those yeah. are all valid reasons. I want to bring something up to end this podcast because you just reminded me of it. There are more reasons too that I have, by the way. Sure. Like, I have, I keep I have going. more. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> um, he has an ugly game. Yeah, that's true. I don't mean that in a mean way, but when you watch guys play, some guys it's gorgeous, it's pretty. Yep. Some guys it's ugly. Yep. James Harden's game is ugly to me. Colin Sexton's game is a little bit ugly to me. Right. Darius Garland's is more attractive. Kyrie Irving's is more attractive. Trey Young's pretty polarizing at this point because of all the fouls that he's drawing. Uh, Steph Curry's game is beautiful. Yeah. So stylistically, he's not the kind of guy that you really latch on to. Um, there are two more reasons here, I think. Okay. He's the first guy that's up for a contract extension. And because of that, you're more nitpicky about what his value is moving forward and about whether he belongs long term because he's the first guy that the Cavs would have to commit to. So you're okay. going to make more of a decision on that. And then the other thing is the truth. He is an undersized shooting guard in the NBA. Yep. And there aren't a lot of guys like him that have success long-term. He's an outlier. From yeah. that standpoint, he's an outlier. And 
you as a Cavs fan would then have to accept the fact that the Cavs are going to build with, not around, because they're not trying to build around Colin Sexton, but build with an outlier at shooting guard. Right. And that's hard sometimes for people to accept. And despite the fact that he can go out there and give you 24 points a night, and he can do it while shooting 50% from the field and right around 40% um, from three-point line, you, you still always go back to, Hayden, this is an undersized shooting guard that's going to have size limitations defensively and maybe even offensively as well. And how far can you get with that kind of guy? And I think that's fair. I think that's a fair question to have when it comes to Colin. I think that we've – it's all stacked up against the poor kid. It really is. It's all stacked up against him. And then, But I guess he loves that. He loves that. He loves that it's all stacked up against him. And that's what drives him is to prove people wrong and to be the best he can be. And I think that's one of the best things about him is that he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the perception. He doesn't care about any of that stuff. He doesn't care about all these reasons we're mentioning. So yeah, um, I wish nothing but the best for him. And um and he just keeps getting better, man. He just keeps coming. Right. Exactly. And yeah, I hope that I hope the Cavs fans can turn around or can turn turn it around on him somewhat. Because again, I don't think he deserves half of the. You know, a lot of this stuff is just not under his control. But, anyways, I wanted to bring up something mm-hmm. before we before we before we get out of here, and I want to hear your opinion because I think I know what it's going to be. Okay. So I tweeted out, or I think it was. I think it was maybe Wednesday. Mm, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. Maybe Tuesday. Maybe Tuesday. I don't okay. know. Anyway, one of the days. All right. It was the anniversary of the game one of the 2018 NBA Finals. Okay. Which is obviously the infamous <laughs> George Hill, J.R. Smith game. Yeah. And ESPN brought it up, oh, on this day three years ago, J.R. Smith forgot the time, and it was one of the most boneheaded plays in the history of the NBA. And I just cannot agree with that. I don't think it's – I think it was a – like, yes, it was a bad moment. And, like, it, it. I just didn't think there was any, like, super significant – like, I thought if they won game – if even if J.R. Smith, like, turns around and hits the shot, right – yeah, and Cleveland has a little momentum. I still think they lose that series four to one. I, I, they didn't have. I don't think they had the horses. I think LeBron was tired from carrying them through the Eastern Conference Finals. I think they just simply didn't have the horses. So like, I just for what I just hate that people are still like on that moment. Like I thought it was just a, an accomplishment in and of itself to get to that NBA Finals, given the midseason trade, given the Dwayne Wade, the Derrick Rose, all that garbage. I mean, to get to bring in the guys that they had, I just thought it was a, a miracle that they got there. And then people are still sitting here three years later and bashing J.R. Smith for thinking the game was over instead of tied. I mean, if they were losing, it might have been even a bigger play, but they were tied. I don't know. I It's just maybe it's <laughs> my opinion. I, I just think was, you're on I, an I island just, on this one. I, I, I guess so. I guess so. Grove Island, population one. Population one. That's my hottest of hot takes. I don't think it was that big of a, like, I mean, LeBron has obviously forgiven him since then. It's move on. Well, it also led to LeBron punching a board and essentially breaking his hand. Chris, uh, I just did not think that they were going to win that series. I just did not. I agree. 
Right. I mean, even if they, I mean, I think LeBron would have had to play like that for the next seven games if if they were going to win that series. And I'm not saying he couldn't have, but I mean, I I just don't I don't think they could have done it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's necessarily about the end result and them losing in the NBA finals and then JR being the cause of that. Right. It was just one of the most boneheaded plays that you've ever seen in your life. In that moment, on that stage, for him to have that kind of brain fart. Yeah. But hey, hey, it took it, it took until then. <laughs> it took that. until then. It took until then. I mean, there were some there were some moments, but like not really on the court. <laughs> you think? There, there are some. It took until then to have one of the biggest, like, boneheaded moments in sports. Like, the guy won an NBA championship. Yes, there were moments with the soup throwing and all that. But like on the court, there was nothing any, like, even anywhere near that bad. Well, no, not near that bad. But there were also moments. Of course, remember getting suspended for losing his temper and swinging on Jay Crowder that almost cost the Cavs a series against. Uh, the Chicago Bulls, remember that Again, one? I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying, like on, like that's a basketball, like okay. That was not a basketball play. No, I'm saying the basketball play was the one, the boneheaded one. Him swinging on another player, it's that was not a basketball play, right? I'm saying, I'm just saying, like, ah, uh, I'm trying, I don't know, I'm trying to protect Jr. here. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell. I try and project JR here. He had a I think he really helped the Cavaliers. I think he was a good asset for a lot of years. He doesn't deserve to be reliving that moment three years later. Just let it go. Let it go. Nope. <laughs> Never gonna let happen. Let it go. That's the one thing about Cleveland. Cleveland has a great memory and it's a beautiful thing. And I love their passion. I love the passion <laughs> of this fan base and everything. But sometimes you just gotta let it go. <laughs> let it ride. JR has a nope. title, had had the moments with his shirt off. Uh, just remember that J.R. Smith riding across East Ninth with the shirt off, smoking a stogie in his hand. That's that's the J.R. I want you to remember, not the J.R. Uh, that that cost the Cavaliers a uh, Game One playoff. Uh, well, again, what if he doesn't make the shot anyway? So anyway, yeah. Um, anything else, Chris? Before as I end on my diatribe here. No, that's all right. Hot all takes right. with Hayden. Hot takes with Hayden. That might be a new segment. <laughs> I think that's one of my hotter takes. I have some hot takes, obviously. Can't wait to see what you come up with next. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got some. I got some. Uh, I got some hot takes. I always got them. I always got them fired up. I that think was one that right I did now, not expect, though. Let me just think, be honest. I, I think my hot take that I that I really I, I hate the Cleveland Spiders name. I yeah, me it. too. Okay, well then it's not a hot take. So all right, yeah, thanks. Not a hot take. Thanks for joining me on that. That's right. synonymous with. Maybe the worst team in franchise history, right? Right. And also something that people don't enjoy. Yeah. Like, who likes spiders? I don't like spiders. My I wife don't like it either. Like arachnophobia is a real thing. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, come on. You're right. It is. And, and spiders aren't even like, they're not even native to Cleveland. There's spiders literally yeah. everywhere. Yeah, right, right. So like there I'm are lots of spiders be, here. I'm not saying it needs to be native to Cleveland per se, but like it needs to have a little bit more of a tie than just oh they were called the spiders. You know why they were called the spiders? I do not. No, I didn't look it up. They were called the spiders because, oh, honest to God, this is the honest to God truth. They were called the spiders because their team was filled with tall and langly, lanky guys that looked like spiders. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> Is that true? That is a true story. 
Oh my god. Well, that is fact. Well, they got five foot eight Owen Miller. Well, exactly. I mean, Tristan McKenzie might fit the bill. He's a tall, yeah. very, very tall, lanky guy. But I just uh, no, no spiders. Did you see they have? I love how we're getting off track, but it's but it's good to wait in. Did you say they have like twelve hundred name ideas? I did see that. That's unbelievable. Like, <clears throat> I almost think that's kind of like dumb. Like, whittle it down. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really hard to start from twelve hundred and whittle it down. <laughs> what do you What do you need What do you need twelve hundred names for? You're gonna end yeah. up with one. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, give it. Like, get it down to like a hundred at least. Right. Come on. I mean, my wife. My wife and I went carpet shopping over the weekend, which is yeah. incredibly overwhelming yeah. because of all the different colors and all the different styles, right? So I said to her, I said, forget style from the very beginning. Let's just focus on color. First right. and foremost, focus on color. So yeah. we decided on like gray-ish. So then we just tried to narrow it down from there. And if the color that we wanted wasn't in the style that we wanted, then so be it. Right. And and I think for the Indians to start with, excuse me, the Cleveland baseball team, yes. to start with 1,200 to begin with, it's like way too overwhelming. Chris, Chris, the, 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 like 1,200 names. Well, Honestly, 1,200. 1200 names. Like they they must have like the some of the dumbest names I've ever heard of my like I'm looking at a Heinen's bag right now and I'm thinking like oh what are they gonna be like the Cleveland Grocers or something like, is that on the list like I, I, it could be twelve hundred names it could be on the list oh. that opens it up to everything and I'm sure they have a bunch of different categories too yeah. like animals uh, nautical <laughs> colors blue oh, yeah. socks. Red Sox. Well, he can't go Red Sox, but you know what I mean. Yeah. I just, I, God bless him. They're going to have to whittle that down like crazy. Crazy, crazy. Yes. yes. You know where uh, I stand on that, bud. I uh, want nautical. I like it. I We've like got it. Lake Erie. Take advantage of it. I like it. I'm, I'm, an, I'm good with nautical. I'm good with nautical. I'm good with nautical and no guitars. No, perfect. Perfect. All right, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Chris, thank you, as always, for joining us. I'm going to get this thing published here shortly. Um, we will be back soon talking with you on the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. And like I said, be sure to check out cleveland.com slash Cavs, where you can find all of Chris's great work. And you can find the uh, blue tab at the top of the page to sign up for his subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. You will get all kinds of news, analysis, insights straight sent to your, or sent straight to your phone. Um, by Chris himself. So uh, no Twitter. It'll go right to, right to the subtext first, and then it'll be tweeted out. So thank you so much, everyone. Appreciate you joining us, and we will talk to you soon. Have a great day. Take care.